Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Friends, hear now the words of God from the book of Genesis, chapter 29, beginning with verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of that place and gave a festival. And when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. And when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for seven more years of labor. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant, and Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Friends, the words of the Lord. In the early 60s, there was a TV series that aired in the afternoon. And it was about seven castaways on a deserted desert island. And that series only ran three years, and it was 60 years ago. But I'm guessing most of you know who I'm talking about. In fact, some of you here could even sing the theme song with me, couldn't you? Let's sit right back and you hear a tale, tale of a faithful trip. Started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. You can sing it. Here's what I remember about that TV series. Number one, the professor made something on every episode that you couldn't possibly make from the stuff on the island. And secondly, every episode, someone got caught in quicksand. Now, quicksand is a real thing. There's more quicksand in California than any other state, very little in Florida. But it occurs when water washes up from below and reaches the surface and the sand becomes buoyant. And when one steps into it, one begins to sink. And the normal reaction is to panic and struggle to try to get out. And the more you struggle, the deeper you sink and the more trouble you're in. But the good news is you can't actually drown in quicksand. Because when you get up to your shoulders, the buoyancy of the body takes over and you can't actually go under. So that's one thing you can cross off the list you're worrying about. (laughs) But quicksand is real. As is rejection, which is our theme today. 
And rejection is kind of like quicksand in that once we experience it, we begin to struggle against it, and the more we struggle, the deeper we sink, and the more entangled we become. Rejection is very real. Each person here has tasted that bitter taste of rejection. I know we have. I know you have. I know I have. When I was in ninth grade, my father twisted my arm and somehow convinced me that I should ask Joan Malubi to the high school dance. And I didn't want to do that. I don't know how to dance, I don't like to dance, and I didn't like girls. If I'd have thought about it, I'd have said, what are you talking about? This doesn't make sense. But before I could think straightly, I picked up the phone, called her, and she said yes. And I began to panic then. Just now i got to go. And in the days leading up to this dance, I'm sweating. And then two days before the dance, Carla, Joan's best friend, comes up to me in the hallway and says, you know, the day after the dance is Joan's birthday. It'd be nice if you got her something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was panicking about the dance. Now i got to figure out an acceptable and appropriate gift. Well, thankfully, I went to my sister, who's a year and a half younger, and I said, help me out. And she suggested a, a ring with her birthstone in it, which cost about 10 bucks at the time. And I thought, yeah, that's about right. So the evening of the dance was Friday night. And I walked about six blocks to Joan's house, picked her up, if you can pick somebody up by walking. We walked about five blocks to the high school. And I can describe the dance with one word, painful. It was painful. Painful because neither one of us wanted to dance, and both of us were exceptionally shy, and shall I say, there was just a lot of dead air time. So when the dance is over, actually we left a little early, I walk her to her house, and when we get to the sidewalk going up to her house, I stopped and took the package that was wrapped out of my pocket, and I handed it to her, and I said, this is for you, happy birthday. And then we give that A-frame hug. You know, the polite kind when you're really kind of scared. No kiss, neither of us were thinking that. In fact, we turned and walked opposite directions really quickly, happy it was over. That was Friday night. Monday morning, we're in the same homeroom. Monday morning, that Monday, Joan was kind of late for class. And when she walks in, everybody's there. She puts her books down, and then she starts toward me with something in her hand. My heart begins to pound. She gets to me, and then it's as if everybody in the room stopped and leaned in as if E.F. Hutton had something to say. And she said, I can't accept this. I just want to be friends. Oh, my gosh. Ever die a thousand deaths all at once? Ever want to crawl under your desk so nobody can see you and hide? Oh, it is painful. Rejection is always painful. But I don't have to convince you, do I? You've been there. You know what it's like? And so today, I want to say three things to you I know about rejection that I find in our text. The first thing I know is rejection comes from not being chosen. Now, in Genesis 29, we read of a situation that seems very foreign to us today. Someone who's going to work off a dowry. You see, in that day, 
for the groom to get the bride, he has to pay the bride's dad an acceptable amount. And it could be camels, it could be sheep, it could be land, or it could be labor. And in this instance, Jacob has run away from home. He doesn't have much. So he offers to work for seven years in return for Laban's youngest daughter. And they agree. So he works for seven years. At the end, he says, okay, pay up. So they hold the wedding. There's a huge festival. All the people from the area are invited. There's lots of drinking. And I believe behind the scenes that Laban and Rachel and Leah are in cahoots. All three of them, I believe, are part of this plan to deceive the deceiver. And so I believe the ladies interchange roles throughout the evening. And when the evening is over and it's time for Leah to be sent to the bedroom where Jacob is waiting, number one, she's veiled, number two, it's dark, and number three, Jacob's probably had too much to drink. We don't know if any words are spoken. We just don't know. He doesn't know he's with the wrong woman until the morning. But when the sun comes up and he can see, he realizes he's been tricked. So he's upset. He goes to Laban. He says, what's up here? You deceived me. And Laban says, well, it's our custom that the older daughter has to get married first. But you can have Rachel also if you're willing to work seven more years. The fool says, yes. Yes. And then verse 20 says, Jacob so loved Rachel that the seven years seemed like only a few days. Now that's sweet, isn't it? That's wonderful if you're Rachel. But what if you're Leah? I want to focus on Leah today. She was unchosen. Her father used her to trick the guest in the seven more years of labor. And when she finally has intimacy, it's with someone who thinks he's with somebody else. Imagine how Leah must have felt. First of all, she's unchosen. Ever been unchosen? About six months ago, I applied to a vow hospice for a chaplain's position. Now, I had worked previously three and a half years for Hope Hospice up in Lee County. And when I applied, I had, I thought, really good references, thought I had a good resume, had job experience, I had received a merit pay increase three consecutive years, and on top of that, some reputable people from this church stuck their neck out and recommended me to the higher-ups in HR. I thought, chances ought to be good. I never heard a word. After a few weeks, I checked back in with them and come to find out they say, we don't even have your application form. So I filled it out again, and this time I took a picture of the screen on my computer saying, thank you for ap your application. I call the following week. They say they still don't have it. I apply again and take a picture of the screen. And while I'm waiting, Zen, who works upstairs for us part-time, also works at a vow. I said, Zen, see what you can find out. She noses around a little bit and comes back and reports to me they hired a young Hispanic male. Now, I understand we live in a politically correct world. Doesn't mean it didn't hurt to be rejected. In fact, it hurt a lot. Have you been there? We've all been unchosen. We can remember the job offer that never came, the date that never took place, the mother-in-law we could never please, no matter how hard we tried. 
Isn't rejection a part of life for all of us? The first thing, it happens when we're unchosen. Secondly, it happens when we feel unloved. Unloved. If I'd have read one more verse, verse 31 would have said, when God saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. You see, God saw Leah's pain. He knew she was unchosen and unloved and stuck in a marriage. And if that's not bad enough, the one he really loves is her sister. Must have really hurt. Must have really hurt. But you see, Leah got the last laugh. This affected her, her maidservant, her sister, her sister's maidservant, and all 12 children. See the children. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day. Egypt, so that when the famine comes, God's people will be saved. And they live 400 years in Egypt and multiply to over a million. That's all part of God's plan. But the lineage from Abraham to David to Jesus doesn't pass through Rachel, the favored wife. It passes through Leah, the rejected wife. The third thing I know about rejection is it's no respecter of persons. I'm going to share a theory I have, and you tell me when I'm done if this is right. When you're three years old, you're afraid when your parents leave the room. When you're 12 years old, you're afraid your parents will get divorced. When you're 16 years old, you're afraid you won't have a date for the dance. When you're 21, you're afraid your resume won't be good enough. When you're 28, you're afraid the neighborhood won't accept you. When you're 35, you're afraid you can't get to the top. When you're 45, you're afraid you can't stay at the top. When you're 50, afraid your employer will hire younger, less expensive, more technically capable employees. When you're 65, you're afraid you won't be needed in retirement. When you're 75, you're afraid you'll run out of money and your kids won't call. When you're 85, you're afraid there'll be nobody left to come to your funeral. How'd I do? You see, rejection is no respecter of persons or age or race or gender. And the word that describes the fear of rejection is apotechemophobia. Glad I got that out. <laughs> apotechemophobia. You see, God has placed inside of each one of us not only a desire to belong, but a need to belong. And so we find ourselves searching sometimes desperately, to find a place where we can connect and belong. And as we are on this journey searching, we find ourselves tippy-toeing through the minefield filled with possible rejection. And some days we're rejected, some days we're not. It's the risk we take. It's the vulnerability we explore because we know the value of the connection. 
How many of you here have been down to tour the historic Hemingway home in Key West, Florida? How many in this room? I figured as much. I've taken that tour. I've seen those six-toed cats. But I have to say, the guide left a lot out about the author. But if you've watched the movie In Love and War, you find out the real story behind this exceptional author's psyche. In that story, Chris O'Donnell, age 18, plays Hemingway, a volunteer for the Red Cross in World War I. In that position, he meets and falls in love with Agnes von Karoski. Didn't think I could say that one either. So in love are they that he proposes marriage, but she rejects it. And so despondent, devastated, and heartbroken is Ernie that he leaves immediately and returns to the States. Well, about a month later, she breaks off the engagement with the Italian doctor. She journeys back to the States in an attempt to win Ernie back. And there's a scene where she finally catches up with him at Walloon Lake at his cottage. She walks up the steps to the porch, and through the screen, she sees him standing in the room. And so she calls out from outside the front door. She says, Ernie, please forgive me for rejecting your proposal. If you give me a chance, I will love you until I die. There's no response from Ernie, just silence. And after a few seconds, he turns his back and walks over and sits at the table with his back to the door. And then he slowly begins to pound his head on the table. And sadly, Agnes slowly walks away, sad and all alone. And the final scene of the movie is narrated by Agnes, who is played by Sandra Bullock. And she says, I never saw Ernie again. His pride wouldn't allow him to forgive me for the rejection. And the hurt boy became the angry man. History tells us that Hemingway would go on to have four wives. Each marriage would fail. He never got over the rejection from Agnes, the first one. And so great and deep was his pain that in 1961, he ended his pain by taking his own life. What a sad story. And yet it reminds us the impact rejection can have if we choose to carry it all our life. But friends, God has a different plan. God doesn't want us to carry this rejection and pain affecting all our relationships, weighing us down, redirecting our focus. God wants us to give it back to him. God wants us to see ourselves as he sees us. You know how God sees you today? Chosen, loved, adopted, a conqueror, an overcomer, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, one so valuable and worthwhile that God would send his own son to die in your place for your sin. Jesus knew what rejection was like. Tasted it firsthand, first of all, from his own family. You know, Mary was the only family member at the cross. His brothers and sisters, of whom he had many, Thought he was deluded, made fun of him. 
played tricks on him. Rejection hurts the most when it comes from the people closest to us. Secondly, he was rejected by his own hometown, Nazareth. They heard that he had done miracles in another place. They asked him to do big miracles there. Convince us you can do miracles. He sensed their attitude, their edge. They judged him. And so he said, no prophet has honor in his own hometown. And he wiped the dust off his feet, and he picked up his stuff and moved on. And then finally, Jesus was judged by the church people. They listened to him. They disagreed with him. They judged him. They were so angered by him, they pursued him until they killed him on the cross at Calvary. And then from that cross, he looked up and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. Oh, yeah, he knew rejection. And he knows what it feels like when we are rejected. He knows our pain. Today, some still reject him. I wish there were thousands in church today in Naples. I wish there were hundred thousands. But there's still many who have other plans, other priorities, other stuff. He says, to all who receive me, I give the right to become children of the Father. That is the gospel. Jesus lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death we couldn't die so that the Father looks at us and sees us as if we had lived the life that Jesus lived. That's our good news today. The world may reject us. God accepts us. The world may say we're unworthy. God says, you're valuable to me. In 1932, Tommy Dorsey, who was a musician and believer and follower, experienced a great tragedy in his own life. He tasted firsthand rejection, and it crushed him. He found himself prostrate on the living room floor. But he cried out, God, I need help. God, I need help. Precious Lord above, take my hand. And when he got up with God's help, he sat down and he wrote the words to our closing hymn. He knew what rejection was like, and he wrote it so that we would sing it because we know as well. Leah knew. You and I know. God knows. But the solution is God wants to be the answer. He wants to give us forgiveness. He wants to fill us with peace. He wants us to have joy. As we remember, on earth we're passing through. The best is yet to come. Earth is not our destination. And those who think nice guys finish last just don't know where the real finish line is. It's in heaven. Our reward is waiting. The best is yet to come for all who place their faith in him. Friends, stand and sing with me about the Lord who reaches out and whose hand is waiting for us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.